On this episode of the Three Beers, Two Guys, One Movie Podcast, Rod and I give our shout-out to our Brewery of the Week. We also do our top three marquee picks of characters that have self-isolated and quarantined. We do a little current events and talk about how the coronavirus has personally affected both of us. And then we get into Netflix's viral sensation, The Tiger King. So, let's go. podcast the podcast where we review movies and also talk a little beer also get a little bit of buzz and also just have a great time as always i'm joined by my good friend movie connoisseur and overall renaissance man mr rod budman how you doing today rod even though i know it's difficult times going on with the coronavirus and everything so you <laughs> you holding tough you doing well i'm holding tough holding tough um just quarantined here with my two two dogs um we're gonna get through it yeah before before this podcast i saw rod barricading this whole property with sandbags he's got guns he's got ammo anybody who's trying to enter his property you better watch out he might just take you out unless you can prove that you're 100 healthy he's taking this very very seriously 100 percent well, and I, I say that jokingly, but honestly, I this whole situation is starting to freak me out. So we didn't we recorded one two weeks ago, and obviously this is a wild, wild world, a wild, wild situation. And I apologize to every single person who subscribes and has liked and has followed us around, not only on the podcast but also on social media and stuff like that. We tried to do one last week. We actually did do one last week, but yours truly, right here, was a dumbass and. Forgot to press the record button. We did. What was it? It was Snowpiercer by John. Uh, anyways, the Korean pro, uh, director who just directed the Academy Award winning movie Parasite. We tried to sort of just, uh, <laughs> you know, tally on to that acclaim and also that attention. Tried to get a movie review out there of one of his previous previous projects. But like I said, uh, the dumbass here right now talking couldn't get that done. But like I said, I appreciate every single person who's following us and who has subscribed. So if you if you are a new person listening to this, please subscribe, please like, please rate everything, please just do everything possible to help our poor struggling podcast out. Um, and obviously, I mean, go to the Instagram page, like everything. We've got an intern working his ass off trying to produce quality content. 
<laughs> that intern, I've got him in a sweatshop. He's doing everything possible to make everything as funny and cool. And if you got any ideas for him, just please send them along. Um, like I said, Rod, this this virus is getting out of control. <laughs> I'm I'm basically just in here doing absolutely nothing, watching TV, occasionally going out onto my porch to see what's going on in the world, but I don't want to get even a, a wind wins part of this virus because I don't want it blowing up on me and getting on me. I used to think I was cool. We talked about in the last podcast. I feel like we maybe have a little bit of a young man's bravado about our immune systems. And uh, now I'm hearing all these reports of young people getting incredibly infected and ill and struggling. And honestly, I, I wish I had like a tortoise shell that I could bundle up in and walking the world around just completely protect me from this shit. It's getting out of control. Uh, I agree with you. I do think at least, uh, I think you mentioned in Montgomery, but in Atlanta, people are taking it very seriously. And um, luckily so far, the numbers have not been that bad. I think we're probably like the best you know, over 5 million people containment-wise would be my yeah. guess. Let's just all hope. Every, obviously, I think <clears throat> I'm hoping and I really hope that obviously we hoped everyone took it seriously beforehand. I was taking it seriously, but then again, I don't go around shaking hands and talking to many, too many people. I am a little bit of what you would call a 30-year-old hermit. But uh, <laughs> I'm hoping everyone sort of adopts that sort of personality, at least for the next couple of weeks, because not just here, everywhere, because it's getting just too crazy. I don't want to overstat, I mean, overcrowd all the hospitals and just have too many shit, too much shit going down that we can't control. Uh, like I said, last time I was making jokes about it. Now it just seems like it's getting too close to home. I'm getting too worried about all my family, not just my parents and my brothers and sisters, but worried about what's going on with my grandparents and everything. So, um, and not just them, everyone else that's tangentially connected to me. So if you're out there, stay safe. Like I said, I'm not going to try to connect the coronavirus to our podcast, but I mean, yeah, it's a good thing to listen to, even if it goes to years or anything. <laughs> Sounds like somebody's trying to enter Rod's property, so his, his guards acting up. He's Rod's gonna go see if they've got the corona. Let's shoot him away. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew. No, that's great though. Now I'm marking it down, so now we can edit it out. Usually, I'd have to like search for that. So that this is I've got a new little system going on. We're gonna get it all under control. <laughs> So don't worry about it. Usually I used to have to like kind of like find the dead points that I uh, so we'll start back. Alright. So what we're gonna do, here we go. 44. Alright, 44. Stop. Sorry. Okay. So um what we're gonna do is we're gonna do like we try to do every single podcast. We're gonna give a little shout out to a brewery because this is like I said, we're still trying to, even though these times are different and everyone's got to adjust to different things, we're going to try to create a little bit of normalcy, at least with what we're doing here and producing. Um, we always give a shout out to at least a brewery or a beer, and that's what we're going to do right now. I've got, and it's got to relate to what we're reviewing. And today we're reviewing 
Netflix's viral, would you call it viral? And it sounds like a terrible word you use in these times, but it's a viral sensation, Tiger King. Um, so what we're doing is uh, <laughs> we're going to review all seven episodes. It might be a little congested and clunky, but that's what we're going to do. But before we do that, um, I'm going to plug a little bit of a, a brewery because, like I said, this is all just a scam in hopes that they send me free beer one day when this podcast gets popular. So um, <laughs> there's this beer called a uh, brewery called Flying Tiger Brewery. It's out of Monroe, Louisiana. It actually has nothing to do with tigers, even though, like I said, it's uh, we're reviewing Tiger King, which is about the abuse and breeding of tigers and also a very personal and um, back and forth feud between two people. But this is a brewery that's Flying Tiger. It's about um, started in honor of a group, like a World War II plane of what we will say squadron that were called the Flying Tigers or whatever. So I just typed in Tiger Brewery into Google being like, how can I find something? There's there's something called Tiger Brewery that's out of Taiwan. There's no way they're gonna send us anything. I feel like these people could if I tagged them on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever, or Facebook. Maybe one day someone's gonna send me some gear, t-shirts, some beers, we'll see. But anyways, if you're out there, and you want to support local breweries, go call them up. I've seen, this is just a little thing, but I've seen that breweries and like kind of bars are doing this sort of local curbside pickup type thing where they're now allowed to distribute beers like growlers and stuff without going in there. You can just pull up and get something through your window and pay via the cash app or whatever. I'm sure they'll offer growlers. I shouldn't speak for them, but who fucking cares? I don't know. But anyways, check them out. Hey, and if you're listening to Flying Tiger Brewery, send me something, contact me via the DMs on uh, Instagram. All right, so let's get to um, what we're going to do. The uh, What we did last time, we're going to call these the marquee picks. We're going to shorten these down a little bit because we've got so much to talk about for um, uh, Tiger King. We're just going to do three this time instead of five because I feel like sometimes these can get a little bit... Uh, too time consuming or whatever. But what we're going to do in honor of the quarantine, we're going to do the top three characters in movies that have self isolated or quarantined. And that's something everyone should do, obviously. So, what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. Top three. Rod, do you have, you want to start it off or do you want me to start it off? Um, I think I'll let you go first. <laughs> you want me to go first? You know, I'm going to take the obvious pick here. This is a pick off the table. Um, this is somebody who has was probably the most famous and first person to be diagnosed with a virus, but luckily he's fine. His wife is fine. He was in Australia filming a film, but now he's back safe in the United States home and probably being taken care of by plenty of Hispanic nurses at his home. Um, I'm going with Tom Hanks from Castaway. Clearly, he didn't self-isolate on his own. It was forced upon him. Plane crash was working for FedEx, wound up being the only survivor of that plane crash. And then what he do? Just wound up learning how to live by himself. Not just live by himself, but fucking thriving by himself, we should add. I mean, he had a whole system, a whole livelihood all planned out. Obviously, he wanted to get back to the United States, but I think when he got back, part of him missed just, you know, being by himself and being completely, what do you want to say? Um <sighs> words struggling to to get to me or whatever but self-reliant i feel like that's if, if you're a man and you could and a woman just and anybody in general 
if you completely and totally be self-reliant on your own, I feel like that's one of the best feelings in the world is completely had no dependency on anything. He was that in the island. I feel like once you get back to normal life, you might be like, holy shit, I've got to go to the grocery store. Holy shit, I got to do this. I got to rely on all these people doing all sorts of things. In the back of my mind, I think he kind of wants to go back to the island. But that's number one for me. Number three, I'm at number three, but my first pick. So we're going to go for Rod's pick here, number three. My number three was um, was also Castaway, but <laughs> I, I had a couple honorable mentions. So I'll just, this one I feel like would be the equivalent of being in isolation. And it's a strange one, but the Truman Show. He's, okay. If you really think about it, it's, no, no, you're absolutely right. That's a good pick. Okay. So you, you think that one fits the bill? Oh, no, it fits the bill 100%. That's a very creative way of doing it, but you're right. Go. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like uh, Groundhog Day as well. I mean, probably more so Truman Show, but everyone knows the movie where he's basically on a movie set and everyone but he knows. And he may as well... I guess it was good that he at least had fake interactions with people as opposed to being completely by himself, but. No, 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 but you're right in the fact that he is, he's alone and the only, he's the only person that knows it's fake. I mean, the only person who doesn't know it's fake. So all these people go home, they leave the set, they go back to their normal lives. He's still there, right? Like, I mean, it's all shifted out. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, whatever, but like, but he's alone in his thoughts rather than in his person if that makes sense right yeah and i would say it's being pranked in a sense that he's the only person thinking something's real whereas everyone else knows it's completely and totally fabricated yeah and it's like to your point of uh tom hanks getting off of the island and castaway like when you get back you know that'd be really hard but I think that it'd probably be even more of a a mind bomb, if you will, to realize that your whole life was like this just fake staged movie, basically. Yeah. And I'd be super disappointed. In real life, once he left sort of that giant set or whatever, he would be able to hire the best attorney and fuck that studio up a new asshole in terms of suing them i guarantee it i mean that's just a, <laughs> i don't think that that doesn't do time served or necessarily you can't buy lost time in life or whatever but i guarantee you once truman figured that out he became a very very rich man because some attorney could make that work for him um, yeah <laughs> all right so i'm going to move on to my number two pick i'm struggling not struggling I don't know if I'm going to include something corny or just want to go with whatever. All right. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go with uh, Bruce Wayne, Dark Knight Rises. It's, I mean, it's a decent movie. It's obviously a character we're always familiar with, Bruce Wayne, who's Batman. But at the beginning of that movie, he's completely and totally just been uh, living by himself in his awesome mansion. But with his, I guess he's with Alfred, who's his butler or whatever, but. He's just walking around. He's sort of crippled. He's in a cane. He kind of looks like he's he's been malnourished. He's got like some type of, like I said, we shouldn't say virus, but he looks like he's been sick and also a little bit hobbled. But um, 
you know, anyways, it's one of those things where someone gets so depressed where they made a mistake and they can't sort of come to grips with how to move on and they just get stuck. And luckily enough, he got stuck in with a billion dollars and with somebody to take care of him. So that's that's good for him. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have too much to add to that other than, you know, he eventually comes to becomes Batman again and, you know, saves the day. But it was it was just a little thing where he starts off, you know, feeling so much regret, regret and remorse over what happened in the previous film that we start out with him and sort of this <gasps> I'm so depressed and isolated type thing. So you a fan of that movie or you remember that type of stuff? <laughs> Absolutely love it. Yeah, and it's 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 nice that sort of like a uh, you know a little sexy thief sort of kicks him into gear. I feel like that's the best thing to kick anybody into gear is some, you know, a a little uh, little sexy kitten that comes in and maybe steals your mom's pearls and you realize you got to get snap out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's not funny, but at the same time you you realize just get your shit together, buddy. Otherwise, people are going to start taking advantage of you. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's go to um, Rod's number two. Okay. So my number two is going to be Waterworld. Um, first, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner. I think at the time it was the most expensive movie to produce. Probably the biggest flop of all time besides Kazam with Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Shazam. Is it not Shazam? Oh, no, no, you're right. It was Kazam. It's Kazam. Yeah, Shazam just came out. And was, um, you're right, Kazam. I love that movie. Like, it's really... I loved it when it came out. I still don't understand why everyone hates it. It's pretty badass. They were so, trying to capitalize on what Michael Jordan did with Space Jam, and then it just was totally off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, so there's no land left in the world. I guess the polar ice caps have melted. And Kevin Costner is basically just like on his own because he's kind of an outcast because he's like a fish. He's got gills and um, he's basically just patrolling the waters on a sailboat for like 15 years at a time before he even makes contact with another human. Um, I really enjoy it. Isn't there a a scene in that like it's a it's sort of like a bear grill survivor man type thing where he drinks his own piss that and doesn't it like it's sort of like you see these this stream of liquid into this machine and then you realize that he's peeing into it and then like it it sort of does the whole scientific Uh, oily thing filtered for sure yeah I mean no it's not straight piss but it's just it's 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 sort of like a intended gross out scene but it's almost like oh if you can filter piss why can't you filter seawater type of situation when you first see it well that's that's a very interesting point you bring up uh because now that's what we're facing is desalinization of ocean water to make it drinking water and it's yeah. really really expensive to do that yeah it's a really long process um all right, so speaking of salt water, I'm going to go to my number one. And honestly, there's not really much salt water to be spoken of, but I do know that in this film, they moved from Minnesota all the way to, I believe, Los Angeles. So maybe we're going from to the coast. But this is going to be Mighty Ducks 2. We're talking about Gordon Bombay, 
Um, and this is the same in Mighty Ducks 1 as, as it is in Mighty Ducks 2, but Coach Bombay has been, whenever he's, you know, been, uh, what's the word? I can't even think of the right word. But anyways, he's, he's, he's kind of con uh, conflicted with a big problem in his life. The only way to figure it out is for him to go out by himself and just sort of skate it off. Uh, he does it in the first movie, and in this movie, he's conflicted with a little, you know, a little virus called fame and narcissism. And so he has to go figure out how to um, undo all the wrongs that he did in terms of uh, treating people poorly. So he goes out, he skates it off. There's a big montage about, you know, how he feels and how he's going to write everything. And so I think it's it's just one of those things where... It's not it's it's self-isolation take a little me time figure out what you've done wrong and also not just figure out what you've done wrong but how you're going to rectify that or not rectify is that that's the that's not the right word but uh how are you going to fix it with the people that you've done wrong to and that's exactly what he does he goes and skates it off it's a very very powerful scene i mean i think i think when you're a young person and you watch that like i was you go oh man here's somebody who's understanding what he's done wrong and he's taking responsibility for it. And that's a very, very powerful thing to, you know, you got you to take responsibility for the things you've done to people and you got to make it right. So Gordon Bombay, just a giant hero for everyone. What a coach, what a person, what a hockey player. Inspiring for everyone, you know, Gordon Bombay, number one, the best self-isolator there is in the business, unless Rod can come up with somebody better. So no, now you're gonna beat Amelia. I mean, you haven't heard anything about him during coronavirus. You know why? Because he is <laughs> self-isolating. Because nobody is calling him to work on anything. <laughs> he can't work on anything anymore. Uh, unless they come up with Mighty Ducks like four. But I think they did already, probably. There's Mighty Ducks three, and I've actually got a big grievance with Mighty Ducks three. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. We're not gonna get into that now. But okay. But go ahead. You're number one. Okay, my number one is literally coming and figuratively coming out of left field. Um, <laughs> he didn't choose this way of isolation. It chose him. But it's going to be rookie of the year. Whoa. When Daniel Stern gets stuck in the seat <laughs> cabinet. And it's just because, like, one of my biggest fears is like getting stuck in an elevator. Like, yeah, I would freak out. Um, that's just an uh, an irrational fear that I've always had. And that's um, not irrational at all. I can't stand like uh, enclosed spaces. Like, scare me. I'm claustrophobic, and it also anything dark. So if you were trapped in the elevator and the lights went out, so to speak, like say the power went out and you were stuck, I'd be I done. Would freak the fuck out. Yeah. Um, um, I did. I'm sorry. I don't want to bulge into, but like we'll just talk about this. I'll mention it. But this is just one traumatic experience in my childhood, whatever. But one time we went on this Halloween thing. My parents took us to. It was at this church. So instead of like trick or treating or whatever, they did this thing where they like they made this giant box maze in like the church. And what it was, was like you started on this, like there were all these boxes taped together and you had to crawl through the boxes and it was pitch fucking black and you had to get to the other end and it was a legit maze. So people were like stuck in there, like banging on the boxes and like screaming for their parents. They're like, Mom, can you do that? Like, 
like me and my like i think you got like a flashlight but it was still like dark you got a flashlight with your team so it was like me my brother and my sister and we all stuck together or whatever but it was still i it's one thing from my childhood uh what i'm like what a shitty fucking idea and that was honestly i was scared the whole time i was like ding get me out of here john get me out of here like i was following them the whole time it, it was it was a nightmare i uh like I said, it's something I I feel like I, I can't recall too much stuff from being like four or five years old. So if my parents listening to this, that was a bad idea sending me in there. I should have just stuck around. Y'all should have given me some cotton fucking candy or something. Terrible idea. You scarred me for a while. Uh, but go <laughs> ahead. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Rookie of the year. Being stuck between two doors. I think that's unrealistic, but at the same time, it's super funny the way it happens. So go ahead. Well, it's actually awesome because I was talking about when he gets stuck in the, like the equipment case. Oh, oh God, he got stuck between the two hotel room doors. Oh, I thought you were talking about the two doors. You're talking about the equipment center. Okay. Uh, and I was just gonna say how it's the only <laughs> time that like it's somewhat comedic that uh, you would be like stuck somewhere <laughs> i said it somewhere because daniel's turns just funny no matter what and in that movie particularly the hot ice is just well that whole so movie cool. is so quotable whether we're talking about what's 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 the uh chet stedman chet stedman with the uh what's the steak he orders on the plane the Best uh, salisbury steak i've ever had in my life steak, yeah that's the worst take ever. And then obviously the name format that the, the manager can't remember his name. It's like, Rabbit Hosea, get out of here. Uh, Rabbit Booza. Uh, I can't remember every single iteration that he comes up with or whatever, but it's just always hilarious. And I think it gets funnier as you get older, I feel like. Like when you watch it as a kid, you're like, ah, he can't say his name. But for whatever reason, when you watch it when you're older, it's just actually even more funny. So I, I don't uh, know. I don't know why my parents weren't cracking the fuck up when they were showing that movie, but I mean, I think it's hilarious. <laughs> and also the way he he pitches underhand to like to strike out what like this giant beefy John Crook looking motherfucker. Yeah, was. exactly. I think, did it look like John Crook? I feel like it was based on like a beefier John Crook, like Kirk Gibson mixed with John. No, John Crook. Yeah. I don't a bigger John Crook, but like he definitely had that sort of nasty snarl about him with like the Jerry curls in the back, and it just was, yeah, I huge don't dip in like crowd the plate. Oh He's yeah, got mom's glove. Yeah, I feel like in some, I don't I can't remember the movie perfectly, but he probably like makes a comment about his mom like I'm gonna bang her tonight. <laughs> he, he definitely doesn't say that, but he right does. before he pitches to him, he like peels back on the glove. Where it says like Jenny or whatever, like his mom's name. Yeah. So that's what prompts him to underhand it. Yeah, but I feel like almost in like the insinuation is that the John Crook character is like like saying something nasty about his mom, even though that doesn't happen. It could could have happened and maybe made the movie a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe make some little subtle comment that kids wouldn't have known, but that adults would have picked up on, and it would have been fucking hilarious. Um, <laughs> all right, so that was a that was a great pick. That was fantastic. I love that movie. Uh, it's it's the most talked about movie, baseball movie from our childhood. But there's also Little Big League, which came out at the same time. I don't know if you remember Little Big League, but. Twins, uh, 
yeah, he, uh, he inherits the twins from his granddad or whatever. And like I said, another movie where he's a, a kid. It's like a it's a kid coming from like a single parent uh, family. It's sort of like he doesn't have a dad kind of thing. It's just it seems like it's like the same backgrounds and like someone's got to like bang the mom. So right because Chet winds up getting with uh, the kid's mom and rookie of the year, and then there's a the second baseman or is it the shortstop? gets with the mom in um, Little Big League. So it's yeah. another one of those situations where there's no dad and a player winds up being sort of the father figure type of thing. I, I feel like... Uh, Angels in the Outfield, he ends up adopting PJ. <sighs> Angels in the Outfield, great movie too. <laughs> I don't know what, I mean, like, I don't know what about Angels in the Outfield, but the, the, the main quote that always sticks out to me is when, like, Danny Glover, like, throws the table and like thank like pushes the table to the ground knocks over the table and then like the guy goes we're gonna go back to fundamentals and the guy goes fundamentals and he goes yeah like it's it's stupid and like crazy but i think at the time when i watched it i just didn't know what fundamentals meant so i had to go and like get a dictionary out and look it up but there's also the scene where the guy like whatever we're getting way off here but when he sits on the nachos, when PJ puts the nachos down, and the guy sits on the nachos. Oh, uh, the, the like owner's assistant that like has to watch out over him. Yeah, he's doing all the bitch work, making sure to watch the kids or whatever. And then like he he winds up sitting on the nachos, and it's just you know, it's it's hilarious because you know cheese is on somebody's desk. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's gonna wrap up the marquee picks. We both did three; they're both hilarious. Um, you know, listen to them. Tell them. Tell us what you feel about them, because I'm sure you disagree and want to be contentious and make sure to tell us how bad they suck or how much you agree with them. We're gonna move on to the main feature of today's podcast, which is Tiger King on Netflix. What everyone's talking about. So naturally, we're gonna talk about it too. It's a lot to digest. Um, a lot to talk about, but we're going to try to keep it, you know, under wraps. Um, we're going to go character by character, and we're just sort of going to do a character breakdown. And as we do the character breakdown, I think the story is going to sort of unravel as we do the characters. And then we'll maybe sort of wrap up at the end with what the character is about. We don't have any other sort of cool segments or games planned for this because I can't write. I don't feel natural writing fake quotes for a you know a documentary, and uh, but I think we'll get into a lot of interesting situations as we talk about the characters. Um, do you want to start just with the main one, Rod, or do you want to start lower level, or do you want to start big level? I think we'll, we'll do sort of trickle down economics and start with the biggest character. We'll start with the man himself, Mr. Joe Exotic. Uh, <laughs> What what the uh, gay gun toting mullet wearing uh, Tiger King himself who owns a uh, Tiger Park in what was it was it we what was this Winniewood Winniewood Oklahoma right so anyways do you want to you want to go ahead and you give your thoughts on him not only just I mean obviously I just sort of gave a little rundown on just who he is in general but. Where do you want to start with him? Do you want to start with his, his marriages to semi-straight men? Or do you want to start with his relationships with the cats? Or do you want to start with his relationships with Carol Baskin? You you decide where this conversation is going. 
Okay. okay. Um, or his music. We. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much. Yeah. Joe Exotic. I'll just start talking and you weigh in on it. Okay. Um, trying to remember. So the first husband is John, correct? Uh, I've got it written down. Yes, his name is John Finlay. John Finley, John Finley, yeah. Who was, okay. Who, we should point out, young man, obviously addicted to meth, who we can get into Joe Exotic and whether he's manipulating these people by just giving them meth to be his lover type thing. I, it's, it's dubious on what that situation is, probably leaning more towards that he's doing that. But the main thing about John Finley that I want to talk about is that he just insisted doing his interviews shirtless the whole time. Yes. It's just like, what? I'm sure they gave him the option. Like, do you want to put on a shirt? And he was like, no, I'm good. Like, let's just yeah. fuck it. Let's do it live. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Bill O'Reilly style. Yeah. Like uh, either he doesn't have an air conditioning unit in his trailer or apartment or whatever, or he just, he was so proud of his nip ring. Well, like they weren't rings. They were like, little whatever. He just, he wanted to be straight back, relaxed, and chilling while they were grilling him about his relationship and his history with at this Tiger Park. So yeah, go ahead. What 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 were your thoughts on Joe Finley and, and how he was doing this? Or, so I guess he was the first husband, and really who Joe um, Schreibe Vogel, which by the way. They end up with like five different last names for him by the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's then it so becomes Joe like Maldonado Passage. Yeah, Maldonado is his second husband who is Travis. And then Passage, is that that Dylan character? Is that the, the guy who is is it Dylan Passage? So he basically just adopts every single name except for John Finley's. Yeah. <laughs> who he was with the longest. So uh, that is, that's, it's weird how that all works. So, yeah. And I've got something funny to add to his original name when we touch on his music later. Um, <laughs> we can touch on his music now if you want to. Uh, I mean, there's, there's just so much to talk about. Yeah, well, let's, let's said he is a Tiger Park owner. He started, I think, with good intentions. I think that's what the, the end of the show talks about is that I think he legitimately had good intentions. He cares about the Tigers. But it grew into something to the point where he cared more about his ego, maybe than what his original um, intent was. But um, like I said, so talking about his ego, he had all these like personalized lines, of, like T-shirts. He obviously made records. He had personalized underwear that he sold in his shop. He had, I think, soaps. He had just basically anything he could stick his name on. He was selling in his in his like gift shop for the zoo because, and it wasn't like, Oh, this is Winnie Wood tiger facility panties or, or underwear. It was no, we're going to make these Joe exotic underwear type things. Like it was like, this is Joe exotic brand underwear. But I mean, the, I think that's, that's Joe exotic's downfall. If we, if we want to, I don't want to get into his downfall, so to speak, but if, if he has a downfall, it is, He's a narcissist egomaniac who obviously wanted a ton of attention and wanted to be the star of everything. And that sort of compromised maybe the way he was thinking, made decisions, so to speak. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the guy was clearly, he wanted to be a, 
maybe not a movie star. I think it, in, a, in another life, he would have wanted to been a movie star, but he would have settled for reality TV star slash country music legend. <laughs> but I'm sorry. What, what, what were you uh, What were you getting at as far as what you were going to talk about? I sort of went off on a tangent. That's my bad. No, dude, the whole movie. I mean, it's hard to stay in one direction because the movie goes in so many directions. Yeah. Um, Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so uh, um, let's 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 fast forward just a little bit to this, like Joe Exotic, in terms of not just his character, but also how he ran his business. Because I feel like some there's some very very funny aspects of how he ran his business. First of all, we can't mention this without mentioning his competitor, because these these two scenes are juxtaposed, 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 right next to each other. So. We've got this character named Doc Antle. We'll get into him later because he's a fascinating piece of fucking work. But um, he says he runs a, a different type of um, big cat breeding facility where they do sort of similar things as Joe Exotic does. But he says you can't raise a tiger without for uh, anything less than $10,000 a year in terms of food. That's how much it costs to properly feed and nourish a tiger they immediately cut to joe exotic and he goes i can raise a tiger for three thousand dollars a year <laughs> and uh what we learned from joe exotic is he's got relationships with like the local sheriff police department or whatever anytime there's roadkill they give it to him to feed the animals he's also got relationships with a bunch of cattle breeders or dairy farmers anytime a dairy cow or something dies they give it to him Anytime a, a cow dies for, you know, disease or something like that, they give it to him. He's also, and this is the most interesting part to me, is he's doing this, I don't want to call it a scam, but uh, I guess he's got, a, I, I want to call it a relationship with Walmart where uh, he says just Walmart. I think it's probably with a bunch of other places too, but basically the Walmart has some type of uh, policy that if you, let's say you are shopping at Walmart and using their, uh, you, you take a piece of meat that's been refrigerated and then you can't pay for it once you get up to the checking facility, uh, checkout facility, that piece of meat immediately, they can't put it back in the refrigeration. They just discard it. And so every single day, all that discarded meat goes into some type of garbage place. And then Joe Exotic comes and picks that up and feeds all that discarded meat to his tigers. But not all of it, because some of that discarded meat goes to his employees, <laughs> right? So, yes. So that's the other thing. The kicker is that you find out that Joe Exotic is not only feeding his his tigers discarded meat, which is, is, isn't a big deal. I think that's fine. Um, but Joe Exotic is paying his employees $100, $120 a week. And it's supposed to be with room and board, but the room and board is discarded meat. And the room is like trailers that have no air conditioning and very limited types of utilities. It's sort of like a, it's a weird sort of system in the sense that he, he goes and picks up these people that have very little personal or self i should say self-worth whatever maybe that's true but also they that very limited amount of options but he comes and gets them to work for him 
and he only offers them room and board, but also just so little amount of money to where they can't save anything to the point where they can move on. So he kind of entraps them in this sort of situation, if that makes sense. Does that, does that make sense? And we also get the idea that he's sort of feeding them drugs to also keep keep them there too. It's all yeah. it's all sort of so fucked up in the way that he's his he calls himself he doesn't say specifically cult, but he does call it his own little world. And he does say that he's like the king of his own little kingdom. And yes. the way that he's operating this whole system is very bizarre. So I think what what we just highlighted, let's go back to where he has we were talking about John Finlay, who was his first husband. And this sort of goes into what we were just talking about in terms of how he's sort of entrapping people into these relationships that he can sort of exploit is that John Finlay is what, by all accounts, uh, maybe a straight guy, but I, I, we can, I don't want to get into an argument about what is straight and what is gay, but he says <laughs> that all during high school that he had girlfriends. And then once he met Joe, he became gay, but he became gay because Joe was basically supplying him with an all-you-can-eat meth buffet, right? Yeah. yeah. So how straight are you if – are you are you straight or are you a drug addict, I guess? It, it, that's the question. Like, uh, But he did that for 14 years. Not only did he uh, lose his – his straight card, so to speak, the ability to say that he was straight for the rest of his life. He also lost, I would say, maybe 40% of his teeth. <laughs> At least the ones that when you smile, you can see. I, I can't account for his molars. But he definitely was losing those two front ones, those two, uh, that whole situation. I, I don't, this is, again, this is so fucked up. It, it's It's so weird to even... Just imagine that you could be in a 14-year relationship strictly for the meth, <laughs> right? And yeah, not just yeah. strictly for the meth, but you're compromising, like, your whole sexuality. Like, let's say if you were a straight person and it was a woman who was like, come with me, I'll give you meth. Like, that, I don't want to say it's understandable, but it's mildly more understandable than saying meeting some dude who's giving you meth and being like, come with me, but you're going to be my gay partner for the meth. Like, that's just, maybe I'm underestimating the power of a meth yeah, addiction, yeah. but it's just, it's so, it's so bizarre. And not only does it happen once, but let's talk about, it happens again with, this is the wildest, not the wildest part, but uh, so not only while he's married to this guy named John Finley, Joe Exotic meets a young man from California. I, I'm. They never explained how this guy named Travis Maldonado gets out there, so to speak. But I guess he's just sort of run away from home. I, I really don't understand. Like he's just a he's a California kid. He winds up in the smallest town in Oklahoma, which I don't really like. I said I don't understand how he gets out there. But somehow Joe Exotic meets him and lures him into not only just being a part of his life. <laughs> but being his his husband and his like his meth addict husband, it's it's there's not much explanation for it, but it just it it just doesn't make too much sense. I think I feel like there's still more to that relationship than what we saw. Yeah, I don't know how he ended up there. I mean, it sounds like he was 
kind of like everyone else that he hires, down on his luck. Everyone's either down on their luck or out of prison. Yeah, but he seemed to be a little too young to be like either down or luck. Like he definitely wasn't out of prison. But like it's almost like I feel like he was. We don't get. We do meet his mom. Uh, I get the impression that he maybe was kicked out of the house, so to speak. And then yeah, just sort of yeah. was like, I'm running away. But it, it still doesn't make sense as to where, how, how you would find yourself in Winniewood, Oklahoma. Like, if you were from Southern California, you ran away. That's still a long and weird way to go to wherever, even if let's, I, I don't know where he was going. I mean, like I said, it's possible he's going to, like, let's say a, a, a dad's, like if the parents were divorced, he's going to a dad's house, or maybe he was going to a grandparent's place and he just wound up there. We don't know, but it just seemed like a weird way to wind up, like a weird place to wind up is all I'm getting at. And I think there was more to what that what happened, so to speak. But anyways, Joe Exotic, let's let's at the stage here just even more. He's like fifty five years old. He's he's relatively old. He meets this, I think he's like twenty. Young, like low twenty. I should say low twenties. That's the wrong word. But uh, you know, uh, 21, 22, 23 year old man <laughs> meets him. I guess he he lures him in with meth, and we don't know that, but that's the presumption because he definitely was. We 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 have a character who confirms that that's basically all he did was smoke meth and smoke pot, but. <laughs> He lures him in to be his, not only to like into his compound, but also lures him in to be his fucking husband. Like they get married and not just be married, but be married while he's still married to this John Finlay character too. So it's like, I, I, the only thing, I, the only thing I keep going back to is it's almost like that uh, Dave Chappelle sketch where Rick James is like, uh, cocaine's a powerful drug. And it's like, yeah, meth's, meth's a fucking powerful drug. Like, it, I guess it compels people to do whatever the fuck they have to do to keep getting the free gravy train of meth. And, but this is the question I want to ask you is, was Joe Exotic buying the meth, or do you think there was another compound where they were making it? Ooh. That's something that Dougie talked about. I haven't seen this on social media, so. Uh, first time, anyone who's listening, we're doing this first. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Joe. I feel like Joe was making his own. Me- I, I, and then, yeah, because yeah. otherwise, well, I feel like if he'd been making his meth, then surely the feds or the other people would have had some info on that. Well, that's that's true. You're probably right, but we do get to the end where, like I said, I think they have. You're, yeah, he probably would have gone down for meth charges. But part of me just thinks he, I just, I, it, Joe, for what it's worth, Joe Exotic is a crazy person. I think he was doing obviously illegal stuff, but we, I don't think he was doing maybe the murder for hire stuff. But let's just say this, Joe Exotic had a lot going on in his life. He was a very, very busy and a very hardworking person. Part of me is just wondering, because he kept these guys on the compound. Remember, Travis could not leave the compound. So he yeah. was like the meth himself. To add dealing with drug dealers to his life just seems like such a crazy thing to me because if you've ever dealt with drug dealers, unless they're like super high-class professional people, uh, it's a time-consuming ordeal. 
like I just can't imagine him dealing with meth dealers. Like I just like I can imagine him doing it, but not on top of all the other stuff. I, he could have sent like a lackey to do it. Don't get me wrong, but it just seems like it almost just seems like he's the type of person who would cut out the middleman. They're like, this seems easy to do. Let's uh, make. Let's let's not forget he's from Oklahoma. Yeah, like I think you're on to something there. Maybe his brother or family members. We're doing that on the side. Somebody, somebody was supplying. Like he had, uh, let's just put it this way: he had an easy connection to Matt. Yes, if it was himself or with somebody else that he knew, but he wasn't dealing with somebody that was just a random drug dealer. Let's just put it that way. There's no way in hell he was just out there searching for drugs at like twelve o'clock at night, wanting them or whatever. but as the story progresses, we learn the, the whole story here is that Joe is in this massive feud with another person like who who so Joe's what do you say breeding tigers, uh, which is obviously a big no no in terms of people who are into animal conservation and stuff like that. So he's in a big feud with this person who's an animal conservationist who wants to protect all these tigers and not only um hope that they're not raised and bred into captivity but wants to stop that completely and just hope to re not she's not trying to rehabilitate big cats but just give them a, a good life because they there's no, no way to these cats into uh wild once they're bred into captivity that's her big deal right is like if you breed a cat into captivity you can't release it into the wild because you know i I, I'm not scientifically um, authorized to say why or understand. But um, so his big feud is with this next character who we're going to go down a little rabbit hole with. We'll get back to Joe as the, the sort of interaction happens or whatever. But we're going to move on to this woman named Carol Baskin. Uh, your thoughts on her, your thoughts on uh, <laughs> just initial impressions. Did, did you think that she was going to be just as villainous and just I'd say just as disgusting, but just as much as almost uh, part of the problem as Joe and this other character, Doc Antle, were like when you got introduced to her. Do you think they were setting her up to almost be maybe a hero? And then you realized eventually that she was quite insane herself. I mean, I knew that she was insane uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> the moment, the moment I mean, you saw her. These. To anyone who hadn't seen it, this let's see. Would you agree that all the characters all seem to all the people that are into these exotic animals are a very different breed of individual? No, I mean she's absolutely batshit crazy, and you can I you're probably right. You sh- you can get that impression. Just I think they they sort of make a point to do it. Just in the very first moment you meet her. She makes a point to make it about her, right? Rather than sort of the cat. Like, and I think they almost they extend the shot to sort of illustrate that, where she's like, "Should I crouch down to make sure I'm in the shot, or do you just want the cat?" And she's like, "Oh, I'll I'll crouch down," because she makes it about herself. Uh, she is absolutely one hundred percent an egomaniac narcissist, just like Joe Exotic. Um, it's just that she has maybe a little bit more. Um, on the facade, on the surface, more noble aspirations in terms of how to deal with the big cats. I think that 
it is true that I, I do think that she um, she does want a good life for these cats. I I think that's I think that's true. But yeah. if 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 her ambitions, uh, let's say, I feel like uh, that that ambition for having a good life for the cats is minor compared to her ambitions to being sort of the authority on big cat, big cat. on big cat policy, so to speak. So uh, she's got more personal ambitions rather than almost her ambition to help the cat, so to speak. It's it, basically what we're getting at. It's more about her than it is for the cats. She, she acts like she has a noble ambition to help these cats, but basically she just wants to be famous or leading the, the voice on sort of this topic, so to speak. But the main thing about her is <laughs> they're, they're combating with Joe Exotic, right? So like Joe was trying to breed these animals to make money for profit. She wants to stop them. Uh, there's obviously starting a big conflict. But the main psychotic thing about her is that she, she probably killed her husband. What do you think, Rod? Uh, do you want do you want to do the story background on that? Even though we don't really need to get into it, but like, do you think she she killed her husband to start this sort of process or whatever? One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. So, uh, just a little background. Anyway, she she's she had a, a previous marriage. She an abusive husband, and then. Uh, she wound up marrying this other guy who was super rich, but like 20 years his senior, her senior. She started this project as almost like a passion project using his money to start breeding cats. It wound up, it looked like that's a big point is that she started doing stuff that she wound up later condemning. But he wound up wanting to, he saw the profit in the business and wanted to move it to Costa Rica because there was less regulations. They were in a big feud. Uh, he took out like a restraining order against her, but it was denied. It was a bunch of fighting. Anyways, he disappears. No one can ever find him. But it's not like he disappears while taking some of his assets with him. He just fucking disappears. So it's not like he literally disappears to Costa Rica. He just, I think the assumption he's dead. Uh, and that <laughs> she absolutely killed him. My theory is, and you, Rod, you can tell me if I'm way off base here, is this is what I think happened. I think in her mind she was trying to kill him the whole time. I think she's she's super. If you watch the series, she's an incredibly manipulative uh, person or whatever, and obviously is the type of person who can convince herself of her own lies. Uh, so I think she, in the back of her mind, she wanted to kill him the whole time and obviously take his money. I think what happened was she was she set up the whole thing in terms of she was telling her parents that oh, uh, what's his name? Is his name Jim or is it uh, what's his Don Lewis? Don, Don Lewis, Don Lewis. She said, Don's abusing me, Don's cheating on me, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what to do in my... I think she tries to be sympathetic towards her parents, especially her dad. And ultimately, she kills Don Lewis uh, after setting up this whole story, calls her dad, her dad, after thinking, oh my God, my daughter's being cheated on and abused, comes over and helps her dispose of the body. That's my theory of what happened. Because I don't think she could dispose of the body on her own. I, I mean, I know that that's not a mega task, so to speak. But I still think that's like a... I, I don't think she... I, I I don't think she could do it on her own. That's, that's, that's just my theory. 
I think the dad and the family's in on it. Or at least knows more, at least knows a lot more than what she's leading on. Yeah. I think they all in her family know. I don't think her dad probably would have been capable to help, just based on the 30 seconds of footage we see him in a golf cart. Granted, it's 20 years later, so he probably was in better shape when the disappearance occurred. Yeah, that's what but, I think. I'm thinking he's like mid 50s when this happens, and he still can he can help chop a body. I just don't think that Carol's chopping up a body as no, a 35 no. year old woman. I we think also, he's got. I think he's got the fortitude and like strength to be like, whatever, let's get it fucking done. I don't think she could have done it. We don't specifically, obviously, no one knows how she got away with it, or even we don't even have evidence 100% to if she did it. But my theory, like I said, is I think she had help. I think she manipulated her dad into helping her sort of dispose of the body. Uh, it's, it's obviously based on just completely total flimsy evidence, but that's just, I, I just don't see. Her doing it on her own. I, I don't. I don't. I think she's smart enough to concoct the idea and put it into practice. I don't think she was a person, a thirty-five-year-old woman disposing of a body perfectly. I just, I presumably had never murdered anybody before. I just don't know how it happened. Uh, I also don't know. Like it's just like also getting away with the murder weapon. We don't know. Like I just feel like. It just seems almost too much for one person, like one per an inexperienced murderer to do. Does that make sense? I, I, I don't. I think she had to have somebody come and at least clean up the situation before, help her clean up the situation. I think she's yeah. part of the yeah. I think she, there's somebody else who knows something that we just don't know. She's very manipulative. She's also rather attractive, probably in her 30s at that point. Dude, the um, pictures of her, she was a widow. She was. She definitely was a pretty woman. Definitely could manipulate some dude to help her out. Yeah. Yeah. She she definitely was involved in it. I mean, she grew into, once she got that money, once she got that sweet, sweet, you know, uh, <laughs> widow money. Also, she kind of is that she went in and stole the, like, the secretary who had the, uh, who is the notary on both Don Lewis? Yeah, she was like the she was she was the power of attorney or notary through at least one of those wills. I, I don't understand. I, I'm not familiar with all that stuff. Uh, but there were apparently two wills, and Carol was able to come and take both of them and sort of dispose of them, change of them. I don't understand how that worked. She disposed of them and then produced another one. And what was very odd about it is in the wording, she had used the term, uh, you know, this will goes into effect on my death, which is normal, or my disappearance, which that's the good. little attorney on there is like, never seen that in 37 years of my life. Yeah, that attorney was obviously the smartest person in the whole documentary. Very well spoken, knew what he was talking about, and definitely wanted to say that Carol murdered Don Lewis, but yeah. just... He did. He also was smart enough to protect himself because he didn't want to get his ass sued by some woman that controlled ten to fifteen million dollars. Uh, <laughs> but he knew. He definitely wanted to say she was involved. Like I think if he wanted to put his life's work into bringing her down, he, he probably could. But he just doesn't want to go down that road. Uh, but uh, what was I was going to get into is that 
there is, like I said, there, there's this all this um, juxtaposition of these three different people who operate these big cat parks, and also how, how not only do they maybe have ulterior motives in what they're trying to do, they say they have good intentions, but maybe it's something else is what we learned, but also how they treat their workforce in terms of they can't either afford to pay people or they sort of treat them in uh, bad ways. Uh, so we talked about Joe and how he's taking up these vulnerable people that need jobs and offering them room and board, but paying them so little that they can't actually grow into the position and maybe move on to something that pays them better. It's almost like this type of situation that is circular to where they're sort of stuck working for him type of thing. He's feeding them drugs. He's paying them very little, but he's letting them stay there. Uh, it's not the exact same situation with Carol, but it is sort of similar in that her whole operation is run by volunteer work by these, uh, I won't say interns, but these people that are operating on this tiered sort of five year program that she's created that you can't even like deal with the cats until year five, but you have to like, you have to volunteer X amount of hours, but like you start off with like, what they say like a red shirt, then you graduate to a yellow shirt and a blue shirt and like a black shirt or something like that. But basically she's created this tiered system of volunteer work where she's getting tons and tons and tons of free labor. She's shameless about it. She says, why would I pay anybody? Cause people want to work around these cats. She's 100% shameless about it. She doesn't care. But she has this huge labor force of unpaid labor. And I mean, like I said, she doesn't care. And like maybe it's a smart business technique or tactic. Obviously it is. But she's profiting off of the labor of, I, I'm, I don't, I'm just guesstimating at least 100 people. There was a huge crowd of people wanting to work and help her out. And she's the one reaping all the benefits of it. It's technically a nonprofit, but I think we all know that people can make a lot of money off of nonprofit organizations. Uh, <laughs> but she's got this massive labor force that she's sort of manipulated into believing that they're helping these cats. But in the reality is, I think they're helping build sort of Carol's, not only her maybe some money, but also her, what do you want to say, exposure, her, her, her brand, her... Yeah. Absolutely. They're getting nothing out of it, and she's getting a ton out of it, so to speak. I can't think of any other organization, maybe thinking I'm not some worldly organizational traveler, but that has 100 unpaid interns versus one boss. Because I don't think she has any other paid employees. It's just her controlling these people. There might be a structured tier managerial system involved, but even the managers are just fifth-year volunteers, so to speak. Does that make sense? Like she's yeah, the only yeah. person making money off of this. She's basically running a system with tons and tons of unpaid labor and everyone else is, it, she's making money. Everyone else is just getting sort of the privilege of working for her. It's a very, very, very manipulative, bizarre system. It doesn't, does not paint her in a good light at all. I, I don't think. And she even admits that she didn't even talk to the people that just start. So she doesn't care. She thinks of them as disposable. She's just kind of a total fucking bitch. I mean, like, uh, she killed her husband. She doesn't care about her her unpaid employees. So, like I said, we're, we're getting down this sort of system or we're getting down this road where we see that uh, 
people might have good intentions at heart, but they're doing it. The ends don't necessarily justify the means. It's, I think that, at least in Carol Baskin's senses, she might have noble intentions with helping out these big cats, but the way she's doing it is very, very dubious and makes her look like a total fucking psychopath. Yes. All right. So speaking of total fucking psychopaths, we're going to move to the next person. We'll talk about Carol probably later as we get off involved, but we are sort of, we're going to not pressing for time, but <laughs> let's move on to the third person who isn't a hundred percent involved in this, but he's the, I think he's the most interesting person in this situation. His name is doc. And uh, uh, let me get, let me say his name, right. Bhagavan. Is it Bhagavan? Translates Bhagavan. into Lord. What? It translates uh, into Lord. Yeah, it's his name Doc Bhagavan Antle. It's Bhagavan Antle is his real name, and I think he goes by the name Doc. And we learn that hey, but to his to his credit, uh Bhagavan is not something he chose. That's his mom gave him that name. So that's something he's he was stuck with. He did not choose that name, but he definitely embellishes and uh he relishes the idea of what the meaning is, like what Roger said, it means Lord. Uh, he loves it 100%. I think he thinks he's sort of like some ordained Christ figure for the animal kingdom. Um, <laughs> but I think the funny part is, I, it, uh, this kind of got lost a little bit. There's a funny, there's a few funny moments with this character. But let's just, he's a total fucking narcissist. Way more, I think way more than the other people. And he's got a whole situation that we're going to talk about. But um, where do you where do you want to start with him? Do you want to start with his appearance? Do you want to start with his sort of cult, or do you want to start with his sort of uh, what he actually does? Let, I guess let's start with what he does. I mean, <laughs> all right. So he's another tiger breeder, but he's he's operating a much more let's say uh, white collar organization than Joe Exotic is. So Joe Exotic, if you want to like talk to him. He's got a park in Winniewood, Bumfuck, Oklahoma. Doc Antel has a park in what we'll call it. Like, not, I don't think Myrtle Beach is definitely. There's a trashy part of Myrtle Beach, but there is a nice part of Myrtle Beach. He's got. A, he's operating a nice part of Myrtle Beach. He's got a 50-acre facility, very lush facility that he's breeding tigers, also breeding. Uh, I don't say breeding, but he's also got plenty of other wildlife in there too. Uh, but it's a very, like, very, very nice facility relative to what Joe's operating at. Um, he's uh, basically, he's he's inviting people to come in and uh, pet these baby tigers, interact with them, take pictures with them, also learn about the other wildlife he has. Um, but that's what he does, who he is, what he, <laughs> he's, he's, just, he's basically some, crazy dude he's an animal trainer he's got a massive ponytail he's pretty old he's got a ponytail but he also has a soul patch and i think a, a smart sort of thing in life basically is never trust a motherfucker with a ponytail and a soul patch like maybe one you can trust somebody but if somebody has both you know this guy is absolutely up to no good but the way we're introduced to him is <laughs> i think the first thing we see of him is him riding on his elephant is that the first time we see him bubbles yeah so this guy is 100 percent in it for the attention it's like some guy like that's riding around in a small town with the super nice cars that just wants everyone with the top down got the glasses on want everyone to look at him kind of thing 
He walk he rides his elephant to and fro. I won't say everywhere, but he definitely in this situation was. He wanted people to see him walking his elephant. Like that's a big deal. I mean, look, I've got a big dog, and I take it to the park. People say, "Oh, you got a big dog." It brings a lot of attention. I don't do it for the attention. I didn't get a big dog for the attention, but I don't think he got an elephant for the attention. But I guarantee that he loves, 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 loves people looking at him and talking about him when he's walking down the street with his giant fucking elephant. Like it's just like you know that that's sort of the the byproduct of having these type of animals. He's such the fucking narcissist. He's got a big head that's all the way up his ass. He loves it so much that people are like, oh, there goes Doc with his elephant, and he's just sort of strolling around. Uh, it's, you can just tell that, like, I, it's within, like, his sort of creepy smile when he's sort of in, being interviewed or when he's being filmed with these people or being filmed with, while he's interacting with the animals. It's just, you can tell that it's in his head, like, oh, my God, I look like a total badass right now. Like, I think that's going on. I I, I didn't get that intention with Joe, but you get that sort of feeling with Doc Antle that he just, he loves it. He just, he loves the attention. Like, that's 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 his deal. I, I, I should back up on that. I'm taking up too much time here. But <laughs> Joe Exotic loves the attention. Don't get me wrong. But Doc Antle loves, what's the better word, the, the attention? Like, he loves sort of, he loves the idea of, like, you maybe envying him, if that makes sense. Like, oh, this guy can, you know, control. Like, it's almost like a power type of I, I don't know. Like, it's something different than the attention, maybe, so to speak. Like, it's, it's not attention because everyone can get attention. What he loves is sort of, this feeling that he has something you don't so like everyone can sort of get attention like everyone can go pull their pants down and fart and make people look at them but what he has is sort of like i've got these exotic animals they're under my control you'll never have that kind of thing it's almost this weird sort of perverted confidence and sort of power kind of thing maybe that's a better way of saying it yeah does that make sense yeah yeah he he feels like he's like a clairvoyant almost well, I mean, like you said, it's, it's, his name means Lord, and I think he's stuck onto that. And so I think he almost does think he's sort of in control of the whole, and not just his sort of complex, but I think in his his head, he's sort of the master of all of Myrtle Beach, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe. oh, absolutely. And maybe even beyond, who knows? I think beyond, like, I mean, I don't there's a certain confidence that comes with control. So he controls like powerful things, right? So he controls these tigers. He controls a, a uh, an elephant. He controls all these other animals. But this is what we're going to get into. He doesn't just control animals. He's got control over <laughs> his work staff. And like we were just talking about with Carol Baskins and her interns or Joe with her his sort of uh, meth-addicted deplorables. Uh, <laughs> uh Doc Antle has this program, this internship program, where he basically, I don't want to say, it, cult is, isn't the right word necessarily, because I don't think he's necessarily like preaching a sort of religion, but he basically, he only accepts applications from interns that are, what, attractive women, and they're not even women, like teenage, like 18 to 19, maybe even younger, we don't know. Basically, young women that are 
educated too. Like you, you, you don't have to be educated. My my estimation is he probably wouldn't accept a well-read, educated woman because she'd be like, "This fucked up. I'm out of here." It's very like uneducated young women that kind of just like hanging out with cats, and he winds up brainwashing them into being not only his workers for very little pay, but also sort of his. And I mean, I don't want to put words in people's mouth, but maybe his sort of sex slaves. Yes. And, and that's I mean, another common thread between the, all the characters is I want to say that Carol Baskin was 17 when she first got married. Yeah, I think she was. Yeah, she was young. Uh, I mean, at the time, that wasn't like a abnormal thing, I don't think. So, I mean, I think in like the 70s or whatever, that wasn't a crazy age, but still no, young. Yeah. You're wrong. It's very young. right. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, I think what Rob was getting at is that all these main characters, and even one we don't talk about, is has had what we'll say as uh, multiple sexual partners, and some and mo- and two of them or three of them all at the same time. So Carol's probably the only one who sort of has like monogamous relationships, but. No. I, would, I would I would still clarify that her relationships are still weird as shit. She was still married to her abusive husband until she was 24, and she met uh, Don Lewis when she was 20. Oh, I did not I did not pick up on that at all. Yeah, I did not that. Uh, but I would still say like her current husband, who we we haven't talked about yet, is the weirdest motherfucker who we don't have any information on. He looks like. He kind of looks like, kind of, what do you want to say he looks like? He kind of looks like Prince Charles, but that's someone who's kind of been like completely and totally neutered or something. I don't know. Like he's, he almost looks like he's, we've all seen the the film 40-Year-Old Virgin with uh, Steve Carell. He looks like a 60-Year-Old Virgin. Like he just doesn't, he looks like he's never, I, I don't know. Like what what's his history before he mar- married Carol? The current husband that he oh that Howard yeah Howard yeah Howard uh that one I'm still just that dude I mean the pictures of their wedding are unbelievable and the way he like what what he's he like he like sings to her, which is look look it's cool whatever if you're in love with someone you can sing to her and you want to do all that that's fine I don't give a shit if that's how you sort of get off but. She clearly is not into him. Uh, like I would say this, she is not into him. She like just placates him and says, "Oh, thanks, whatever." Uh, I'm. I what we don't know is what was he doing before he married Carol. We don't get any backstory on him, and I, it, maybe it's none of our damn business. But at the same time, it's just like, how did this guy? How was this guy a single dude when he was like, presumably in his like his sixties or late fifties? He doesn't seem to have a previous family. And we don't even know what his occupation was before, like, he became sort of this co-president of the Big Cat Rescue. Like, who is he? What is he? Like, we don't know. It's just some sort of weird situation. He's definitely very business savvy, though, you can tell. I think he's smart. But I just look, he's a retired management consultant. Oh, okay. Fuck, I was hoping he was just sort of like a giant puss. Uh, <laughs> you could be both for sure. Yeah, I was kind of like I feel like he's someone you can have good ideas, but not have the fortitude to enforce them. Like a lot of people can do that. Uh, 
I was hoping he was just sort of like kind of a smart guy, but just had no testicles, so to speak. And just Carol just sort of controlled him. Like, I'll use him kind of for his brain, but like, I'll never actually let him be the person who helps, you know, or like doesn't even, never trust him to actually complete anything, so to speak. I still think that's the case, even though he might have a business record. I don't know. We, Rod seems to think he does. That could be all manufactured on Wikipedia. Anyone can fucking edit that stuff. I'm still going to go by my just uneducated and ignorant assumption that this guy is a total fucking loser. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Rod, for no, 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 no. <laughs> we're uh, they're definitely in a sub. I don't know what you call it, BDSM, and he's definitely the submissive one. Well, there's I, a picture of him in a tiger I, costume on a collar and leash. Yeah. So, look, I took, I had a teacher in middle school, high school. She was my uh, Latin teacher. She was in a, she freely admitted she was in a non-sexual marriage to her husband. And, and like, she always, she was blatant about it, said it. I don't know why she ever brought it up in the first place, but we all knew it. It was so, it almost makes me think that, that's what was going on here. Like, oh, we're both in our 50s. We both just need some companionship, but we're never ever going to like be attracted to her. Like, she, he's probably attracted to her, but I feel like she just wants someone to like boss around and have around the house, so to speak, just to like not, she's getting too lonely. I don't think she respects him as a man. I don't think she respects him as like a, anything other than just like almost her lap dog that can actually talk. That's the feeling I get. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think she was probably 20 years younger. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I think he just he just likes the idea of being with someone who has a lot of money and sort of does some... I, I really don't know. We're getting off topic because we, <laughs> we were talking about Doc Antle and his sort of like weird sexual relationships with his teenage interns or whatever. Uh, uh I'll add that, I, I mean, in my opinion, I think that Doc Antle is the most uh, successful or, yeah. like, respectable. I mean, he's Ace Ventura, <laughs> Dr. Doolittle. No, 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 yeah, he, he, has, he has a big movie and television career in the fact that he, that's the other thing. It's like he doesn't just have this wildlife, wild park, wild, wildlife park facility but he's also sort of a respected animal trainer that has been able. But what happened was that was in like his early life. If I'm, I don't know, understand if he still does that or does he still do that? Or is that, that's yeah. telling like, okay. I mean, he, like he, he still, I guess he still does that, but it seems like his main, his, his main squeeze, so to speak, is still, the Myrtle Beach facility and sort of making these women sort of do whatever he wants for them. The only, uh, he really isn't sort of significant in the plot of this movie or this, this television show or this docuseries, so to speak. He's just more of a super interesting character that has a soul patch and a giant ponytail and also just is kind of a giant fucking asshole. Uh, there was just this one scene I wanted to ask you about because I, I think it stood out to me 100% because it just, when you texted me about this, saying it was a Christopher Guest film, but actually real, 
<laughs> this is something that would have happened in a Christopher Guest film. I 100% know it would have. But there was a scene where he's trying to show like the director of this new like Liger cub or whatever that's maybe like not necessarily a cub but it's like 90 it's 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 not a full-grown liger but it's like sort of a toddler so to speak and this one of his little intern wives walks it up and it's on a chain and it's sort of uh playing with him or whatever but the chain gets on his shirt and he's sort of trying to just <laughs> talk to the director or whatever like oh yeah i don't try to classify these things as ligers or tigers or whatever i just say they're big cats and then he passive aggressively goes, oh, and by the way, the chain is dirty and it's ruined my damn shirt. And he just looks at her and like, she goes, oh, sorry. And he just like, he like just turns around and sort of just has this frown on his face. Like you can almost feel that he's like, I'm going to whip her ass <laughs> in two hours when the camera's off. And like he, um, he had this like sense of anger and like he like was trying to dust off his shirt, but you could tell in his head, he was like, the stain's not going to come out. Fucking stain's not going to come out. And uh, you know who's going to pay for it? You know who's going to pay for this $35 fucking shirt? Fucking Trixie right there. She's going to fucking pay for it. <laughs> like, you could just see the monologue in his head of what was going to happen just because the cl- the chain wasn't cleaned properly. Like, this guy is so insane. He- he's just such an asshole. And, and I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like I said, he doesn't have too much to do with the story, but in some ways, he's the most fascinating character. I wish there was. I wish he almost was the dude who. Well, no, I mean Joe. Joe is probably maybe a little bit more fascinating, but he's 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 a close second for me. Carol, yeah, yeah. Carol seems almost like a stereotypical sort of character that you'd see in some type of Law and Order type show. These two people you couldn't create. I could watch just, a I could sequel docu series on Doc. Mantle. I could not watch a sequel if it was about Carol Baskin. No, no one wants to know about Carol other than just where the body's buried. And <laughs> after that's after you discover where the body's buried with Carol, it's like, all right, go to prison. We're done with you. You're not interested in anything. Um, all right, so let's let's go. Let's move on to. I, I want to say I want to say last character, but maybe last character because uh, we are we're getting we're going a little close here. Not close. I don't know what close to what, but uh, let's talk about Jeff Lowe and how he sort of fits in this situation, and then kind of wrap it up. Jeff Lowe is basically just this character who comes in and somehow Carol and Joe Exotic have been involved in this lawsuit, this crazy lawsuit that winds up Carol winning that Joe uh, Joe owes her a million dollars. I know we'll go. He comes in randomly as this hotshot investor who has a like many of the other characters, this facade of being like very wealthy, driving a Ferrari, having this huge mansion. It's also got some sexual proclivities in that he's an open swinger. And uh, the, yeah, basically, so Joe can't pay the million dollars. So they start, you know, getting his assets. And it's all tied up in court, costing both of them a lot of money. And to circumvent that, they decide that it'd be a good idea for uh, Joe Exotic just to sign the deed over to Jeff Lowe, because then Carol Baskin's attorneys would have to restart all that process again, because it's now the lawsuit would be against someone else. Yeah, 
And so the initial impression of this dude is that he's coming in, he's got a big dick, he's swinging it hard, he's got tons of money, he's going to save this place from going under. But uh, <laughs> he's coming in from Vegas is sort of the thing. So when you associate people with Vegas in the way that like he's a high roller, he's coming in with a hot young wife, he's probably like in his late 50s, early 60s is my guess. But he dresses like he's in his early 20s from Jersey Shore. He's kind of a kind of a giant douche, but you got but you gotta respect the Ferrari. You gotta respect the Ferrari. You gotta respect the Hummer. Like if he's got these things, maybe you gotta assume he's got something going on. So yeah, he dresses like an asshole. Yeah, he looks like a douche, but he's got a Ferrari. So you gotta assume something's under the hood, figuratively and literally speaking, so to speak. Uh but he comes in, convinces Joe to yeah, sign over the D for him. And uh Basically, I mean, uh, tons of tons of weird stuff happens. He like brings in some of his people, or at least one of his people, who's the most important guy in the story. His name's like Alan or something like that, who is like this longtime convict but very loyal to him. I don't know if he's loyal to his family, but loyal to him. Anyways, Joe and him get in a little dispute. Uh, what happens is. I mean, what do you want to say? I mean, we, like I said, if you if you watch the series, we are glossing over so much stuff, but we're just trying to kind of, you know, give a little bit of a character rundown. I, I We don't, uh, we could break this up in probably three different episodes, but we're going to try to fit this all into one. But what do, what do you want to say happens uh, it, as, as far as the murder for hire sort of thing happens? How, how does, look, let's just walk through sort of and, like I said, it's it's so tentative. I want to talk about some other stuff, but I don't want to get into it. Um, so there's basically just Joe sort of talks about his ass, saying that he wants to kill Carol Baskins. Uh, Jeff Lowe kind of manipulates that into uh, almost like a what? Said Miss Abbott. Okay, so well, yeah, there's a lot of information. We're assuming some of our listeners, some of you guys have listened to this or seen it, I mean. But yeah, I don't know anyone who hadn't seen it probably with uh, everyone being quarantined. Um, So he, we got to also, you know, he runs for president and then also he runs for governor because he can't wait four more years after he doesn't win for president. (laughs) He's surprisingly, he does very well. I think he got like 90%. I want to bring this. I, I, I'm going to interrupt you, but I want, I'm going to let you. I will. I shouldn't say let. That, that makes it sound like there's a power situation here. I, I'm going to want you to finish, but I wanted to bring this up because I thought this was a really weird point that no one I've seen bring up. All right, so we're talking about his campaign ads that he's running for president or governor. I can't remember if it, which one it's for. It's either uh, governor or president. It doesn't really matter. But there's one that he does while he's like trying to film when he's in like the tiger cages. And uh, what happens is one of the tigers or lions, well, I can't, it doesn't matter, winds up sort of biting his shoe and sort of dragging him and almost like what he thinks happens is that someone tried to kill him. And we don't know if that's true or not. It's hard to, it, you can never prove that. But what they do is they cut to Carol Baskins and they almost obviously ask her the question, what do you think about that? And she says this line, well, if they wanted to kill him, you just like put anchovy paste on his boots. He would never know. And it's almost 
I feel like uh, it's almost a she had thought that out. Obviously, it was so immediate the way she said, "Oh, just put anchovy paste on his boot." They would go crazy for it. And B, it almost sounds like they were in cahoots, like talking about. You know, does that make sense? Because she was already talking to his producer, his reality TV producer. She emailed him, so it almost. I almost think she could have been talking to Jeff Lowe, be like, hey, do you want to get rid of him? Oh, just put anchovy paste on his boot and see what happens when he enters the cage. Right? So, like, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to break into your story, but I felt like that was yeah. a really, really weird thing that happened that no one talks about. Well, it's because he he came out with the claim that it was cl- uh, p- cologne or perfume someone placed on his shoe. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, I didn't, yeah, so so like she, so they're going was, to her and being like, "Did you put cologne on his feet?" And she's like, "Well, no. A, a big cat would just, you know, go up to a cologne and be like, ah. But if, yeah. you know, if you put sardine oil or anchovy paste on him, they would, have, you know, attacked him. Yeah, that's, I think that's that. Yeah, yeah. But the, what I'm saying is that the way they put it together and edit it together could have been manipulative, but it just really, really seemed like she had a, like a very confident way to say, Oh, if you want to kill someone in a cage, this is what you do. It yeah. almost reinforced the idea of maybe she did that to her husband. Right. Yeah. Uh, also it was just like, she, like we'd already learned and we haven't mentioned this in the podcast because it's, it's not that significant. But she had been in, in talks with uh, a guy that had been trying to produce a reality TV show with Joe about saying, uh, we'll give you $10,000 for some, uh, you know, what you say, dish or some gossip on Joe. But what I'm trying to say is it's not out of the realm of possibility since she already contacted that one dude to say this about Joe. She could have contacted Jeff Lowe in the same sense, being like, hey, what do you know about Joe? He says, I'm trying to get rid of him. And she could have said, Why don't you just put some anchovy paste on his shoes type thing? Right? Like, I know that would have been a really tough trail to happen, but Jeff Lowe is the type of person who could have made that type of trail disappear. Be like, Oh, if we're going to mention that, let's do this over a, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, smoke signals or something that can't be traced. So, <laughs> all I'm saying is, Carol Baskin's was so quick to say, if you want to kill somebody in tiger cage, this is how you get them to attack them without being traced. <laughs> yeah. She was quick to do it. She was quick to do it. But go and ahead. She offered up money for that original guy. Yeah. Uh, producer for all yeah. of his film, basically. Yeah, for information. So Which, we were talking it, about Jeff Lowe. We were talking about how he sort of relates to the situation. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, no. I thought that um, was an interesting point. Just because I thought it was so silly. I think it just reinforces the idea that Carol Baskin is, is a psychopath. Um, but go ahead. Uh, where were we? We can, we can edit it out or whatever. But where were we with us? Perfect. So, yeah, he's running for president and then governor. And governor is when he's doing that particular ad, which, by the way, his ads are hysterical. Like, he is. He's like, I'm broke. I've got no relationships. I'm fucking out of money. I fuck men, I raise tigers, but I want to be your fucking president kind of thing. It's like, and I say that jokingly, but it's pretty close to what it is. I know he says he's broke, but he definitely says, like, he basically lists all of his bad qualities and goes, well, fuck it. I want to be your president. 
they are. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have voted for them if I could get my ass motivated to get to the polling booth. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, as long as I got God Montgomery that ran for something and it is ads like it have like illegal aliens or immigrants and he'd be <laughs> like he, he shot at him. Do you remember that? Um, no, I remember like it was like a daily show, like mock up or like I definitely didn't see the ads. I definitely saw people making fun of them. I don't know. Yeah, I was like, My name's Dale Ellis. And if you come on my property, <laughs> it was really funny. But it was like a similar thing where someone's like walking through doors, but the way they edited it made it look like he was like walking through like weird, like it, it just didn't make any sense. Like he was walking through a door five feet behind, like it, Anyways, local campaign ads are notoriously fucking stupid, directed and edited by really unprofessional, dumb idiots. But uh, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. That's my spiel. Hire me to do that shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically the big kind of issue that arises from this is that through the course of the campaign, we, we, we do need to mention that Jeff Lowe and Joe Exotic have joint accounts. Or they both have check writing capabilities for the zoo. And they have, like, over the course of the year after the, the campaign, Jeff Lowe, who has a, he's a convicted felon, has a criminal history, sees that, like, $88,000 is unaccounted for goes on to find out that they've spent like 60000 I want to say, on like uh, the condoms that he printed for <laughs> Joe Exotic with his yeah, face on it. Yeah, the printing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Well, let's just get, would you use a Joe Exotic face condom if you, if, I mean, in a pinch, I, I'm sure everyone would, but like as a preference, would you, would you keep it as something well, that's if I had two of them, I would, and I needed to use one, I would use it. If yeah. I only had one, I would probably just say, sorry, I, I don't use this. Yeah, I mean, you got to. But I mean, the, I'm trying to come up with what he says in there. He's like, if you don't vote for me, you're going to need this because you're screwed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I would. But. Would you? <laughs> Can you imagine though, like if like putting it on as a joke? Like, what? I didn't really understand. Was it just the wrapper, his face on it? Was it, or was it like the actual in like a Joe Exotic, like his face, like or like you put it on and like at the tip of the <sighs> was like Joe no, Exotic. No, I think it was a printed condom. Oh, okay. All right. So it, it just, just had his wrapper. face on the wrapper. On the wrapper. Oh, okay. Well, I. I didn't know. I mean, you can do that. You can lay the rubber out flat, print it, and then mold it into a condom. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know if like you could you could make it work to where literally you Joe probably Exotic could make it to where you had Joe Exotic's penis and it looked like yeah, you had a like, Prince Albert ring. Yeah, like he was he was being the penetrator. Like he was like Leonardo DiCaprio on the tip of the Titanic going into the iceberg. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> um. But th that's the issue that came up because, so, you know, when you donate money to political campaigns, you can't donate it from your own company and then write it off if, if it's to yourself. 
is yeah. part one. Part two is he had also used Jeff Lowe's checks and forged his signature, and that's embezzlement. And he's a convicted <laughs> felon, so he at that point realized that, like, okay, now you know there's they're already looking at me anyway because they say you're you know once you serve your time you're a free man but they definitely still keep an eye after you afterwards. yeah especially if you're living such a lavish sort of big spending sort of lifestyle like jeff Lowe, people are definitely keeping tabs on that so like definitely so i personally i believe like when he realized that and saw that and, uh, you know, realize that, like, they definitely were going to get audited after that because he, they literally embezzled the money that um, he needed to start building some type of case against Joe Todd. Yeah. So, yeah. So, basically, what we have is we've got um, Carol who wants him gone because he's, as Joe Exotic sort of, I don't want to say like, it, he's definitely harassing her. We haven't gotten really into it, so to speak, but he, Joe Exotic is definitely doing some online campaigns and personal campaigns to like, not only damage her reputation, but her business and harassing the shit out of her. Some of it justified, maybe some of it not. We don't, we've already talked about how we think Carol's a psychopath, but and again, not everyone, if they're not convicted felons or whatever, they don't deserve to be harassed. Like that. Uh, but then we got her, who obviously has motivation to get Joe down, out. And we got Jeff Lowe, who has motivations, like Rod just said, to get Jeff, uh, I mean, to get Joe out too. So we've got two people sort of joining up to um, with. And so Carol has some money. Jeff kind of has some money. Jeff also has some pool. We've got some people who are working to get with uh, motivations to get Joe in jail, so to speak. Uh, that's kind of what happens, but we want to just touch on this one guy um, who's also a character. <laughs> His name's James. James Garrett cut, cut mullet, so to speak. He's also big, but uh, <clears throat> it's, so he's involved. He knows Jeff Lowe. He uh, he gets involved in this situation because he uh, what's he at? He has like a illegal lemur in his used, like his like what do you want to say secondhand store, so to speak. <clears throat> I don't really want to get too involved in how he incorporates into this whole thing i just think he's a ridiculous character and we should talk about him for like five minutes and we can wrap it up <laughs> but basically what you were talking about this earlier not podcast but when we were in our uh, you know it's called pre-production meeting uh we were in uh, <laughs> we were in our uh pre-meeting and then we'll do a post-production meeting uh you guys don't even know holy shit um <laughs> that's basically us just saying all right tonight um uh so no so this guy he's what, what do you want to say about him um he he's 
just a giant fucking snitch. I think there was way more to the story than him just, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I've got something on my throat right now. But he was covering up for like, he said he got involved with this because the feds wanted to find him for having a lemur. I personally think there's something way deeper than that. And he wasn't being honest because that seems like such a shitty thing to do to get involved in a murder for hire scheme. It's not even worth it. Not even, it's not even worth just the <clears throat> the exposure, so to speak. It's not even worth just the effort. Like the, the fine for the lemur couldn't have been more than what? Two grand, right? I mean, like maybe. I've got to disagree here. I think he's one of those people that like must have been bullied when he was younger and thrived <laughs> on being a confidential informant because he was like, "Yeah, you know, my lawyers told me they had my ass pinned." And well, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're agreeing but disagreeing. But like, what I'm saying is like his motives were untrue. That's what you're you're agreeing with that. I'm like, saying, yeah, his motives, I don't think he'd done anything worse. I think he'd wanted just, yeah, yeah. He wanted to mess up someone's life. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Okay. So I'm thinking he did something worse, and you're thinking he just wanted to be a snitch. Yeah. Because even at okay. the end, he's like, yeah, maybe I'll get to, you know, continue to do this. And it's just yeah. like, gee, dude. Right. You're right. You're probably right in terms of, I think. I think he liked the attention. I mean, he's some sort of, I mean, I don't like to judge people on their looks, but I mean, he's not someone who takes care of himself, both from a professional level and a physical level. And just his basic haircut is gross. So. Joe Exotic cut <laughs> it pretty well. I mean, he's basically a walking Chucky doll. <laughs> I, I, I remember that, but I guess I missed it. All right. So this guy named James Garrison. <laughs> We were just talking about he's completely out of shape, completely just given up on his whole body and appearance. Uh, and I feel like that maybe has instilled a sense of bitterness <laughs> in him that he just wants to go after people that might be, uh, I don't know, maybe more successful than him. Uh, even though I think he he's, seems to be doing decently. He owns his own store. He drives a nice truck, but whatever. I, I think he does have a sense of, uh, the world is against me because maybe he got he was born with a thyroid problem that made him super fat and disgusting. Um, but let's let's talk about him for just a little bit. Uh, he's he's basically just this snitch in this this situation who was able to link Jeff Lowe to the feds and the feds to right to Joe Exotic. Is that how it works? Or how yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you how do you want to say how this works? Jeff Lowe and uh, well, I forget his name now. The other guy, James Garrison. James Garrison. Yeah, they had had previous business dealings, I believe, right? They definitely knew each other, but it's 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 dubious as to what their business dealings were because Jeff Lowe was. Once we get done with this, we don't need to talk about too much, but he cut him out quickly in terms of what they were going to do in the future. So I don't know, like, what their business dealings. They definitely knew each other. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know if they're partners. They knew each other. Definitely knew each other. Familiar. So so then Jeff or James Garrison starts working for the equivalent of the FBI, the Fish and Wildlife Service. And yeah. uh like I mean he literally just like puts himself into this situation and then warns um Jeff Lowe 
that he's under investigation by the feds. Yeah. And then Jeff Lowe, did I just call him Jeff Davis? Yeah, Jeff Lowe's, Jeff Lowe starts, really <laughs> starts being like, okay, we got to get, you know, this on videotape. Well, luckily, old Chucky Doll, James Garrett's, and Al, uh, Chris, da Mark Davis <laughs> character has, since he's already been an informant, he's already literally like been recording everything. Um, and that is when, I mean, this is where it's, you know, kind of for us to take away what we think as yeah. far as what exactly happened, but basically, uh, so basically we're is, not going to get into the, I'm sorry, but basically we're not going to get too much into specifics as to how that whole went down. We're at this point right now where. I said, we're not going to get into the probably details of who said, he said, what said, that guy said. Um, we're just going to say, we're going to get into what do we, what are, what's our verdict, so to speak, right? I think, I know that we didn't get too much into it, but basically we've sort of broken down the characters to the point where we've said they're all fucking scumbags. And we've gotten to the point where Joe Exotic has been convicted of his little murder for hire scheme even though we we didn't break it down too much i don't think we have to you've seen the seen the docuseries you know what's going on we don't need to walk your hand through it like we're your parents or whatever uh but what we're gonna do is we're gonna say what do we think do we think he's guilty do we think he's innocent what do we think's gonna happen not only do we think he's guilty or innocent let's predict the future do we think he's gonna get exonerated or do we think Jeff Lowe's going to get convicted? Let's just let's sort of give our little predictions for that because that gives us a little something to for people to chat about. Okay. So, do you think Joe Exotic's guilty of what? Uh, the murder for hire scheme. No. Okay, so Rod is going on with a no. With the murder a definitive no. Yeah, definitive, hundred percent. Definitive. I think he got seventy nine <laughs> years in jail. Yeah. Uh, so I'm. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you. Um, because I'm gonna put this on, you know, social media, and that's, you know, that's where the world can see it. <laughs> Which, not to bring this back, because I just thought this was a really funny thing that I forgot to mention, but it was like, <laughs> there was this moment in the docu series where I think it was the first episode. I, like I said, I'm sorry because for bringing this all back, but whatever, it's my fucking podcast with Rod. Um, but uh, <laughs> there's this moment where he, uh, where they're interviewing him, and they go, "Oh, you got a you got a web series? You got like who films it? Who distributes it?" And he goes, "Uh, the internet." And he goes, "Worldwide, pretty cool, huh?" Like, and so like he's almost trying to act like it's almost like a better distribution system than having like a cable network back him he goes worldwide anyone can see it pretty cool huh and then like he almost like it's like bragging about it <laughs> but then they cut to the guy who's like the producer and he goes i don't think any more than 90 people are watching it live at any given time <laughs> but anyways he was like trying to brag about it. He was like worldwide tv so pretty badass walk and he like so does this like 
almost Derek Zoolander left turn, walk into the TV, like walk into the studio, like, yep, just showed them I was a fucking badass. But like back to get to the point of his his work ethic, every he said every day at six PM he recorded a TV show. We do a podcast once a week and I feel like, oh my God, we're we're working hard. This dude is working his ass off. He's owning a zoo. He's doing his own TV show. He's supplying meth for his straight husbands. I mean, this guy is always working. Anyways, so, sorry. I just wanted to mention that. No, dude, you make a great point. That guy will never be accused of having a lack of ambition or, most importantly, confidence. And I loved it. I loved his confidence. Absolutely. Dude, I mean, if I was 50 years old and and I was getting 20-year-old hot women, what, what what a great... I mean, he's getting what he wants. I know in dubious circumstances and under like illegal circumstances, but let's just say, I mean, he's getting he's getting good looking young men. He's playing the game. You can't fault him for playing the game. <laughs> How he plays it, I guess. Obviously, you can't fault him for it. Uh, like I said, I mean, I don't want twenty year old meth addicts. So please, if I'm fifty and I'm operating meth and you're twenty and hot, just reject me. Um, so you're a hundred percent sure that he is not guilty of the murder for hire, but, uh, so your prediction after that, do you think he will win an appeal? Cause I, I'm sure an appeal is coming. Do you think he'll win an appeal to get out? Um, I do not think he'll win his first appeal. I think he'll be out in five to 10 years though. Five to 10 years. I think that Alan, who is the supposed hitman, will go to jail. I think Jeff Lowe, 100%, if not for relation to this case, but some yeah. other activity will go to jail Yeah, within the next three years. Okay. All right. So this is going to be a little post on social media. These are Rod's predictions. 100%. Not guilty of the murder for hire. Five to ten years out. Alan's going to jail. Jeff's going to jail. Anybody else going to jail? Uh, I don't think Carol's going. Yeah, I don't think. But Carol's I think going. she's hundred percent guilty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm probably um, I hate the fact that we're probably in too much agreement, but I'm not going to go hundred percent. I don't think he's a hundred percent. Non guilty of the murder for hire. I think he's like, I'm going to go with like 85% not guilty because I do think there was there was enough evidence to sort of to make it happen. Um, I also think that we can only trust what we're, uh, I should say what we're given, but I should say that this is sort of like making a murderer with the Steve Avery case. I don't know if you saw that is that sometimes these people who are making documentaries don't include everything maybe that we need to see to make a very firm and knowledgeable decision. So I, I imagine what's going to happen is, yes, there's a lot of stuff that was very dubious about this case that he was framed, but I also imagine that there was some stuff that they left out that maybe implicates him a little bit more. So I'm going 85%. I, I don't think he's going to spend his life in jail. I don't, I'm not a legal expert. I do think he's going to get out. I think five, 10 years, I really don't know. That sounds 
that sounds fine to me. I mean, he didn't actually murder somebody. The person that he was accused of hiring didn't actually, I mean, didn't do it. The person he wanted to die didn't die. I mean, I feel like people who have had involuntary manslaughter or manslaughter charges have gotten out for a lot less. <laughs> I don't know if that's worse, but like, I feel like he's going to get out. So I'm going, I think he's going to get out in 10 years. I do think Jeff Lowe's, Jeff Lowe's going down. That dude's, we're going to, we're going to be reading in all the reputable news sources. I mean, Huffington Post going to have a huge fucking spread on Jeff Lowe getting just fucking shit canned. Jeff Lowe's going down. I don't know what for, but I think it's going to be really exciting to see Jeff Lowe get going to prison. They're going to shave his nasty ass ponytail off of him or whatever that Jerry curl nonsense is in the back of his hair. It's going to be off. Um, I, I actually, I think, I think Jeff Lowe's actually going to be taking the brunt of this. He's going to jail. I think, I think people are just going to just disregard Alan. They're going to be like, oh, that poor, I, I, I think, I don't know if he's going to jail. I think he's just, just leave him in his tub. <laughs> Remember he got oh, him yeah. in the tub. Like, what the fuck? That was but the he, weirdest he did, thing. He did, did you see that he wiped it all down? I was pretty impressed. He wiped the tub down? Yeah, before he got in it, he like, it's like he knew about coronavirus already. That was crazy. It was like a corner tub too, which made it look like it was almost like he was in like a kind of hotel that thought it was fancy. I didn't know. Oh like, yeah, no, that's how they got him to come in for that interview. They're like, yeah, what's so like, his place? It was like a corner tub. Like it was interesting. Closet. Yeah, you could probably fit like a normal size man and like a petite woman in there <laughs> not like a you know a ex-convict that had plenty of fat and i don't know whatever uh that joke shut sucks ass um <laughs> but so i think i think alan i think i don't think i think i think for the last of alan even if he gets convicted i think alan's just he's the type of person who's gonna be gone in the wind type of speak like he's I think he can find his way. He can. He, he's got the methods and means and know how to change his identity. Maybe just go up to Canada, live in a cottage or something. He's gone. I don't think we're going to see any more of him. I do think Jeff Lowe is just too addicted to the limelight, too addicted to the money, and too addicted to just being around that eventually he's going to prison for this. Um, all right. So that sort of wraps up the uh, overall talk about this. We're going to talk about just for one last thing. We're just going to give our rating for this as a docu-series. Um, we'll just do the same thing as we do for the movies, um, even though it's not sort of the same thing. Um, compare this to maybe you can rate it as other docu-series you've seen, other documentaries you've seen. What do you give this, not just entertainment value, but also information? I mean, because that's what a docu-series is. Do you think it was fair? Do you think it was impartial? Do you think... It was entertaining. All these factors label in. I mean, not label. Uh, are should be considered. So, Rod, you're rating. Okay, I think the movie was very good at not being biased towards painting anyone in a bad light. I think they literally did a very good job at that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think that they held out a whole lot of information, like. Um, just one little thing, so I know we're trying to be quick. 
but when they, they shared behind their own swords, so to speak, they let everyone have their moment, and if they wanted to fall on their own sword, they let them do it. Kind of. And I think everyone certainly started. managed to do that at least more yeah. than once, except Doc yeah. Andrew. But yeah, I'm gonna go with a 97. 97. Wow, what a high school. Yeah. So you... Uh, Can we, um, not to push you to think on top of your head too much, but what else would you give a 97? Just for comparison's sake, just so our listeners know, what else would you think of the same high esteem? Sorry. I I mean, I give making a murder, murder like an 89. Oh, so we're, we're way up. Yes, yes. I give Grizzly Man probably a 95. Okay. That's just a documentary. What um, was uh what was the one Durst? Hurst. Oh, um The Jinx. The Jinx. That's like a 92. Yeah. Yeah, this this is probably my top doc series. Okay. Unless I'm forgetting one, which I'm sure I am. Um, yeah, no, I, I, well, I would hate to be put in the same pressure. I just put you. So, um, I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give it a solid A, but teetering on an A minus. A minus is 91 to 90. I'm giving it a 92. Okay. Um, but I think it's on the same level as making a murder. I actually loved making a murder. Uh, I know that it left out crucial information. That's why I'm dubious of this one. Cause I don't know if Netflix is trying to always paint a picture or whatever of who they want to win. But, um, I love, I love, love, love this one. Like I said, I feel like it's, it's waiting for Guffman, but also just about big cats. Um, <laughs> Making a Murderer, though, I thought was great. I've not seen Grizzly Man. I will say this, though. If we're talking about competing docuseries that just came out at the same time, HBO just released a docuseries called McMillions. That one did not captivate captivate me 100%. I watched it, and I wanted, 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 desperately wanted to be captivated by that, and it just lost me. This one, from the moment it happened, I was just like, this is great. I love it. The characters were 100% believable, but also so crazy that I had to keep watching it. McMillions just did not have that grasp, even though I thought the story was supposed to be great. It still was just, they made it so fucking boring. Um, So I don't know if that's 100% based on how much information, how much footage they had, and how much they could manipulate stuff. But if we're talking about who wins the documentary award that we're Things coming out this spring, we're going Tiger King. Absolutely. So, what we're going to do next, I'm going to edit this shit down. It's going to be out Monday morning, so everyone be uh, looking for that. Monday Monday morning, probably Monday afternoon, because I probably can't do it tonight. Uh, Monday afternoon, probably around, you know, 3, 3 p.m. Super time. So just right when you're getting home, needing to maybe work out and maybe listen to this, or maybe you'll save it. Maybe we're so boring that you want to just listen to it and put you to sleep. It doesn't matter. Download it. Listen to it. I don't care how you use it. <laughs> just do it. Uh, what are we going to do next? I think it's... I, I kind of picked this, so I think we're going to go with Rod's pick next. We were talking about doing Ozark, so... 
if you're still listening and then you make a comment, I doubt anyone's going to do, but should we do Ozark or should we do a movie? What do you think, Rob? Uh, I like that. We either do Ozark or I just did read that Mud is coming on to... Um... Have you seen Mud? I haven't seen Mud. Um, I feel like uh, I, I will do Mud. I like I, I kind of want to do something that's like recent and new, like Ozark is, and you would you'd seen it. I do worry about doing a whole like ten episode thing into one podcast just because that's a lot of information. But it's not it's, as much as. Do you I, think we can do it? It's not even close can... to as much info as Tiger King. Oh, so do you think we can do Ozark? Would you rather do Ozark or would you rather do Ozark? I'd love to do Ozark if you, if you could do it. I can do it. All right, so we're going to we're gonna do Ozark. It, it might, look, we took two weeks to do this, but we did, I promise, I swear to fucking God, we did do an episode last week and that this dumbass forgot to record it. So we're on the one-week epi- one schedule, one episode per week. We're going to do... Ozark by next Sunday or Monday. Gives us seven days. You've already seen it, so you don't. I've just got to catch up. This is on me. I'm gonna do it. We're gonna make it happen. You got any last words? Any any final thoughts on Tiger King before you let the listeners go to bed or uh, in their commute or do whatever they're doing while they're listening to this? Um, I just want everyone to know that I really appreciated the pronunciations of Mr. Joe Exotic. Uh, <laughs> there was so many of them, but escalators, and there was one one that was even better than that, that was so good. Anyway, it's a great film. Free Joe Exotic. Okay. He's on this- the Free Joe Exotic friend. I am too. I think he should be out. I think we should just can that asshole Jeff Lowe 100%. Do you want to say keep button? Do you want to say it in a high voice? Do you want to say it in a normal voice? Or do you want to just say it? Just just keep on button. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to end this. Uh, I shouldn't have to tell you, but we're going to end up with a Joe Exotic song just so for all y'all's listening pleasure. But all right, guys, I appreciate it. Be sure to stay tuned for Ozark next week. And we love you guys 100%. Thank you. Tell all the hunters to lay down their guns Tell them that the tiger needs a little bit of love Let them run the jungle, let them roam their land Then stand back and marvel, what a beautiful cat Cause I saw a tiger now I understand I saw a tiger a Tiger saw a man I can give him a home Safe and warm But the law wants to ban me Can you tell me who's wrong Every time they move Every time they breathe I can feel their power, I can feel their peace, cause I saw a tiger, 
ticket is soon be gone. So you better take a picture. What a sad, sad song. Call it Armageddon. Such a painful loss. When they kill all the tigers in the Holocaust. Cause I saw a tiger. I saw a tiger, the tiger saw me.